0: Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Con Report wherever you get your podcasts, you're watching on YouTube. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media, A-M-P-I-R-E. Always, always, always much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by ESPN NFL draft analyst, Jordan Reed. I hope by now you know it's not that Jordan Reed because this Jordan Reed has been doing a great job covering the NFL draft for at least five years. So I always love having him on this time of the year. And I wanted to have him on for, for two reasons. One, how does Sam Howell compare to the quarterbacks coming out in this year's class? When you haven't had a quarterback situation solved for a couple decades, you keep looking. No matter what you're saying about a guy, you keep looking. And I think they will. Now, what that results in, you know, it could be exactly what we think it is. Go with Howell, get a veteran in here to back up or compete with him and then go from there. However, you need to always keep your options open because what if a guy falls you at 16 that you love? You are gonna bypass him because you like Sam Howell? Well, not if you love this guy more, but I don't think that's gonna happen. I still wanted to bring Jordan on to talk about the possibilities and where he would place Howell in this class based on what he knows, based on what he's seen, et cetera. Also, what he thought about Howell coming out of last year's class, and what he thinks his ceiling is. And then also kind of, kind of going from that, looking at his play in the finale and then going from there. So that's what I want to do with him. But the other thing I want to do with him is talk about the 16th pick, because again, I don't, I don't see a quarterback going there. The only quarterback who would probably be available there would be Anthony Richardson. And when you're in a, when you're in a situation where where they are, where they need a, it's a make or break year. You can't bring on a guy who would be considered a project at that position talented but a project and it just it would not be a good mix for him for them. So, what positions would they look at? Well, Jordan, excuse me, Jordan Reed in his first mock draft pegged projected a, a quarterback there. Find out who. Then the other position you'd have to look at is tackle or interior line. Those are the areas we talked about briefly. I'm going to get into all that stuff throughout the offseason. Long way to go before the draft, but I just kind of wanted to get that ball rolling now because I had Jordan on. But again, the primary focus, Sam Howell. Anyway, so stay tuned for that for a couple minutes, but let me first go over a few pieces pieces of information about the offensive coordinator position. We already, well, here's here's what we know. On Monday, Eric Stoogesville, uh, Miami assistant coach, will be in town to interview. Later this week, Thomas Brown, assistant coach with the LA Rams, will be in town to interview for the position. Already interviewed, Pat Shermer, Ken Zampezi, and Charles London. So with Studesville and and Brown, and just like London, none of them have play-calling experience. Studesville did have it in Denver as an interim coach. You can't make grand judgments about somebody in that position. I go back to, like, for example, when Kevin O'Connell was here, he he didn't start calling plays until after Jay Gruden was fired. But for the first handful of games – Bill Callahan was basically telling him, I want to run the ball on almost every early down. So, because they were, he thought that was how he's going to protect Dwayne Haskins and not put him in bad situations. Eventually, O'Connell kind of won a wrestling match with him and just said, let me go this way. And I think that's when you start to see more production from Haskins later in the year. But the point is, you couldn't exactly just say you, – if you watched that, you would say, oh, O'Connell loves to run the ball. No, it was Bill Callahan loves to run the ball. O'Connell was calling the plays and doing what he was told, but eventually kind of kind of got his way a little bit later, and I think there was more productivity because of it. So you did learn that. So anyway, that's the case with Studsville. But what I know about him, and I told you – excuse me, I told you last week is that players respond to this guy, and I say the same thing about Brown. They Studsville pushes them hard. That's the reputation, but he's a he's a guy that has survived multiple regime changes, both in Denver and then in Miami, and that always speaks volumes about an assistant coach. I don't know what that means for him as far as calling plays, but I do know what that means for as far as him being a position coach. It means he's a very good one and a valuable one at that. As far as Brown goes, he's only been in the NFL. Stoodsville has been in the NFL for a while. Brown has only been in the NFL since 2020, So, and it's, it's been with the Rams. So he's very inexperienced. He has coached in college for a number of years, but he is of the group so far is the most inexperienced. What does that mean? Well, don't know. Sean McVay was a young coach, and that's who he worked for out in LA. I think one of the things that's very important to this OC search is a couple of things: who were, who who, were, who was a play caller for the place you are at, and who was a quarterback. So he, you know, shoot, he was in a place where they won a Super Bowl. You have a really highly talented offensive mind, of Sean McVay. You had a very good quarterback, last, you know, the past year, Matthew Stafford. All that I think will matter. Um, not a great offense this year because of injuries. However, they they certainly played hard to the end. And I think, you know, offensively, they did some things later in the year that, was, that bodes well. But, you know, it's not like they have these flashy numbers. But we don't know, like, and what I've heard about him is players will really respond to him. He's a very, he's more of a dynamic leader, very good in front of the group. So I think all that bodes well, but we don't know how he is as a play caller. And there's only one way to find out. And I know that that's kind of what they're thinking internally too, is that you can't just dismiss a guy because he hasn't been that, because what if? And here's the other thing. When you look at these play calls already, the guy who's the most experienced in that role is the guy that I hear the least, um, positives about from others around the league, whether it's, you know, just a variety of people. And I think, I think it would be termed an uninspiring hire if they went with Shermer. That's what I hear. So, you know, you can make up your own mind. If, if he got hired, how it would look. And, and maybe he spent this time out of the NFL this past year, kind of brushing up on some different things offensively, because one of the other things that they're going to look at is how flexible are you with your system? Shermer's been. Shermer's had a one system for a long, or has been in a system for a long time. So is Ken Zampezi. What level of flexibility you have? Because what if part of what you do, while it may be good on paper, as we've seen the last couple of years, it may not be good for what you have. And I think what they have to have is a coach here who coaches to what they have, not what you want to be. If you get both, that's great. But if you don't, you better coach to what you have. And I think that's the number one thing. So that's where that flexibility comes into play. And then the other thing is what level of creativity you have. So if you have – how do you get to mismatches? How do you create mismatches? If you How do you take advantage of them? So if you have a corner for a team that's a little bit weaker and you want to get McLaurin on him and you know that that's the guy you can target, do you always just put McLaurin on him or do you somehow get create a formation or situation where maybe Dotson will be covered by him or, or Samuel – and then what that allows you to do is not always, if because the other team is going to know if if you have if you're putting McLaurin over there opposite him or trying to get that, they're going to know that's probably the primary read, and they can react accordingly. But if you switch things up, maybe you don't know what the primary read is on that play because McLaurin's over here and Dotson over here, et cetera. So how creative can you be with that? Those are the things you're going to look at. So I think for a guy like Brown, he can come in and do that. But we don't know. Again, the play calling thing is Sean McVay went through some some ups and downs as a play caller. They all do because it takes a little bit of time to get used to it. If you're Rivera and you go, you're going into this make or break year, what what's the biggest gamble? Going with a guy like a Shermer or even a Zampezi where you where they have Zampezi doesn't have the same track record. He's only been he was only a coordinator for 18 games. He was fired after two games in his second year. I don't know the entire situation there but it was it all on him I don't know but I know that he was hired there it was so it was a brief period for him but what's the bigger gamble going with somebody who has a long track record and and you know it's kind of mixed very mixed or do you go with the younger guy um knowing that they don't have they don't have the same experience but perhaps the ceiling is 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 higher And maybe guys respond to them more. I think one of the things that's important here is finding somebody who can bring some energy in the meetings in the preparations, not just on the field, because that's not where you just get your, you get your energy too, from the meetings and the excitement you get over this guy's game plan, the confidence that you get from that, that carries over to the field, that carries over to how you practice, how you play, how you go into a game. Because when, again, when I know when Shanahan was here, I always keep bringing him up because I think he's a supreme play caller but also because guys had confidence in that game plan. They did not have confidence over the last couple of years. I can tell you that. And I think it, it, we heard more of the frustration over the last week or so of the season. And I think it was all legitimate. That's what they need to find here, whoever these guys are. There are there could be a couple more names that pop up for this job. I don't think they're finished necessarily trying to contact people because a couple more guys came available last week, whether it was Greg Roman or Byron Lefwich. Don't, you know, don't know their interest in them. I know they they're they're waiting to see what other some other guys, like a guy like a Pep Hamilton, what happens to the Houston job and how does that affect Pep. My understanding is he'd like to stay in Houston. I think the Texans would like to keep him, but you never know who the head coach is, what their plans are as well. So that's what we know right now. I think I don't know when this job's gonna be wrapped up. Could be this week. If it is, I'll have a bonus podcast. So if if that happens, we'll see. Could be the end of the week. Don't know. Stay tuned or just be patient and stick around. Find me on, you know, ESPN.com. You can check out my Twitter feed at John Kime. And then I'll be on here if, if and when they do hire the coordinator this week. Anyway, that's enough talk for me. You want to hear from Jordan Reed. I want you to hear from Jordan Reed. So let's get to my conversation with ESPN NFL draft analyst, Jordan Reed. Four NFL teams, two conference championship games and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. If you're not a new customer, don't worry. You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg. Add up to 100%. Just download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code KIME, K E I M. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code KIME. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Jordan, it's always fun to talk to you at this time of the year, especially because. Very few people know what you do about the draft. And, and we're still several months away, but we I wanted to take a little bit of an early look at it. But what I also primarily wanted to do is look at Sam Howell from last year's draft and then kind of compare him a little bit to some of the quarterbacks here. Should Washington look at some of these guys or is he worth building around based on what you know about the quarterback class? But first, let's start with Sam and just what did you think of him coming out of college and going into the draft last year?
1: Well, I actually like Sam a lot. Just being, I'm from the Charlotte area, so I've been able to see Sam throughout the entirety of his career. He started from day one when he was at Carolina and played under Phil Longo, who's now the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin, just took that job this year. But they really were a perfect match for each other. And Sam was a little bit better in his sophomore year than opposed to his junior year, but what you saw in the sophomore tape was just a player that was just a natural thrower of the football, and the one thing that really stood out about Sam was just how able, how easy he was able to layer the ball. He could throw the ball to all three levels of the field, being in that air raid offense that really didn't ask a ton of him Longo really cut the field, half of the field off for him. So there was a lot of uh, what I like to call binary reads of where he's just reading half of the field. But he had easy arm strength. He had really good connections and really good chemistry with Josh Downs, who's a receiver we'll be talking about a lot in this year's draft. But as far as the footwork, I thought it was very clean. Um, he did need to clean up the turnover, so I thought that was one area of where he did struggle at during his junior, his junior season. He took a little bit of a dip in that area. But the biggest hurdle for Sam was just going to be adjusting to the NFL game just because in the area of offense, everything is so dependent upon the hashes and then also the alignments, formational alignments, and then some of the splits that wide receivers are having pre-snaps. So I think that's a big adjustment or big hurdle that you'll have to see for him depending on who the OC is going to be. But as far as the traits and just the throwing, uh, the arm talent, I think he has what it takes to be a successful quarterback on the next level.
0: Were you surprised that he lasted until the fifth round?
1: Yeah, I was. I, I was really surprised so that Kenny Pickett... I, I was really surprised that Kenny Pickett was the only first-round quarterback. Mm-hmm. I didn't think Malik Willis would last to the third round. And then also Sam Howell, going as late as he did, I was really surprised by that.
0: Why do you, th- why do you think that... W- and Because I know the, the, the two years were very different. <clears throat> How much do you think teams looked at that I always feel like if you have traits, you're not going to fall. If you have certain traits they love, they'll take it into consideration, but are you going to fall that far? But how much do you think that factored into where he fell or were there other questions do you think about him um, that caused him to go there?
1: As far as the behind-the-scenes stuff, I don't know that just because I obviously I didn't meet with Sam Howe at the Combine. I don't know how he is on the whiteboard or things of that nature. But He's a very smart just, guy. I can tell. Just being at his pro day, I was very impressed with him at his pro day. All 32 teams were there when he did perform at his pro day. Seeing him live, I went to the bowl game against South Carolina. He was really impressive in that game too. So, I mean, every encounter that I've had with him – I I've been impressed with him. I actually had a third round grade on him coming out, okay. but him lasting into the fifth round. I was really surprised by that.
0: Yeah. I think third round grade is pretty fair too. And so when you look at, did you have a chance to by any chance, watch him against Dallas?
1: Yeah, I did. I mean, he looked, he looked good from what I saw. He had some really nice throws down the field. The um, He had some really good chemistry with Terry McLaurin. I think he threw a touchdown pass on. I think that was his first one ever. So, Uh, I was really impressed with how he came in and engineered the offense. The game didn't look too fast for him, in a sense. And I don't know if he didn't have any turnovers or not, but he didn't have any, like, errant throws that were just awful that you usually see from those rookie quarterbacks. I thought um, just him – you could tell that he sat and learned a lot. Uh, He looked in control of the offense. He made some checks to the line of scrimmage and getting the team into some proper situations. But as far as him throwing the ball, I thought the ball came out of his hand really cleanly for the most part from what I saw anyway.
0: Yeah. And the one interception he did have was in the red zone. He tried and you brought up laying or throw because one of the things I heard from some of the receivers before his start was how much they liked that he could do that. And that was such yeah. a benefit. And you, there was one throw he tried to lay it in the, to the corner of the end zone and it was picked and it was, you know, he, there's a, it was a bad decision. Guy was there, but you were trying to make a play. So you learn from it. That's okay. But you also saw the ability to lead guys into the, into yards after the catch, which is throwing on time and then accuracy. Is that something that, is that a trait that you saw a lot of at Carolina?
1: Absolutely. And that's what the air raid is all about. It's all about getting the ball out on time. It's a timing based offense, but it's very dependent upon what's called yards after the catch. Mm -hmm. Just get the ball into proper positions. Make sure your ball locations are very good. Just so the wide receivers can do what they do, which is get yards after the catch. So, The great thing about Washington that I love is that you have guys like Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel. These guys that are very creative and dynamic, not only with the ball in their hands, but also they're really good route runners, too. So I think this is a great situation for him to be in. It's not like the cupboard is bare of where he's just out there battling by himself. I think Washington has plenty of weapons on the perimeter. Brian Robinson, who is another player that really surprised me as far as how well he played in the passing game. That's something that he wasn't able to show a lot at Alabama. So he has weapons all over the place, but as far as his ball locations and his accuracy, that's going to be the easy part for him. Just get the ball in these guys' hands and let them be dynamic.
0: And they're obviously going to have a new offensive coordinator. What And even if you go, they can have a similar philosophy going forward, but it still could require a bit of a change in what he's asked to do. What do you think, based on what you saw in him in college, based on what you know about him, What kind of system do you have a a sense of what system would work best for him?
1: I think a rhythm based system um, just because his game is really predicated upon timing. You don't want him really holding the ball for a long time just because he's not an overly great athlete. So he's not going to be someone that can create consistently outside structure. Now he can get himself out of harm's way. He's not a statue back there, but he can get himself out of harm's way, but it's not something that you want him to do consistently. So Whenever he can match his footwork up with some of the routes that they're running in the short to intermediate areas, I think he can really thrive in that. But Sam has a really strong arm too. I think that was something that was really underestimated about him coming out into the draft. I thought of any of the quarterbacks coming out last year, I thought he threw the prettiest deep ball of any of those guys. So I don't think it's something that you want to rely upon a whole bunch just because Washington doesn't have the best protection in the world, especially at the offensive tackle situation. So if you can get him in a rhythm based or a timing-based offense, I think that would be best for him just because that's what he's used to and what he's played and then that Phil Longo system, that air raid system that he played in that Carolina.
0: So, and this might be a silly question, but what, you know, he's not a big, big guy. I mean, he's He's but he's got, he's like solid 215 or so. Yeah. Why do you think he has that good arm strength? And the only reason I asked that is because I was kind of, I was going through some of my videos from practices last night and I'm watching him versus a Heineke versus a Wentz. And slowing it down kind of like frame by frame to see why is his ball getting there with that kind of velocity. And, you know, to me, it's like he uses it does a good job of weight transfer, first of all, but involving his lower body. But then also he follows through quite a bit. And I don't know. like, But when you would watch him, like, why why do you think he throws such a good ball?
1: Well, he kind of treats it like a baseball player in a sense. And I think those special quarterbacks are ones that have really good action is you try to kind of like imitate a shortstop. And if you think about them turning a double play, they're really able to disconnect their upper half and their lower half. But Sam was able to do that. But also he does a really good job of generating weight transfer, as you said, core strength and then also really involving his lower half. Into his mechanics. I think that's something that Carson really hasn't used to as a fault. He's a really strong upper body thrower, but he doesn't really involve his lower half. And then Heineke just has some limitations that he's just not able to do as far as from a talent perspective. Now, as far as leadership and belief and just that moxie, he's going to have that. That's really what his game is predicated upon. But I think Sam really has a combination of a lot of things that you like to see. He's more so of a quiet leader. He's never, yeah. especially when I've encountered Sam, he's never been that outspoken guy that's been rallying the troops. He's more so of a lead by example type of quarterback. And you're around him in the locker room. I'm sure you see that more so of him being more so of a laid back guy. Yeah. Um, but as far as being able to involve the upper and lower portions of his body, I think that's something that he's always been really good with as far as generating, you know, throws.
0: And I would agree with that. And that's one thing I you know, watch Carson's a lot of upper body, but I think it's why his balls kind of sail sometimes. And it's also with Taylor, you don't see him as much with the transfer um, and the lower body the way that Sam does. But so let's look at this year's class. So because Washington's making the decision that's they're going to add another quarterback, whether it's re-signing Heineken, adding someone in the draft later, maybe, whether it's getting someone else. They're still going to add somebody, but they are going into the offseason with with wanting to roll with Howell, or at least give him the first shot to win the job. So how does he – when you look at this quarterback class in the draft, how does he compare with this group?
1: Uh, I don't think it would be in that top four with C.J. Stroud of Ohio State, Bryce Young of Alabama, Will Levis of Kentucky. Then also I'll even include Anthony Richardson of Florida. I think he probably would be in that second tier – with like a Tanner McKee of Stanford, Jaron Hall of BYU. And then somewhere sort of that second tier, I think that's where he probably would end up, that third or fourth round range, which okay. is where I think some of these other guys will end up going. So uh, I wouldn't put him in that first tier with those top four guys, but definitely he would be somewhere stacked in that second tier, that cluster of guys.
0: What would separate? And like, so if there's a guy sitting there at 16, like, cause right now the way it would look, I would assume because of, how inexperienced is that Richardson would be a guy there at 16. Is he a guy you would be tempted by knowing that you have how, or would you say, hey, we already got a guy that is at this level. Let's build up around blah, blah, blah.
1: Well, I don't think they're going to draft a quarterback early. No, because, I don't think so, they either, they, but I'm
0: just curious. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm more so curious about a mindset of how close would that decision be or you just say, Sam's good enough. You know, I know this guy could be this in a few years, but Sam's good enough. Let's go do this.
1: I personally would take Anthony Richardson if he was there, but I just don't think it's a good situation to draft Richardson, if that makes sense, just because I think he needs, from a personnel standpoint on the field, I think Washington has the infrastructure in place for him to thrive in from just a weapon standpoint. But Richardson needs a veteran in front of him that's already established just because he's far away from being ready as far as being able to step on the field and succeed, but also, he needs somewhere that has continuity on the coaching staff too, just because he's going to need need to be in a system for multiple years in order to succeed. If you have this constant turnover, an offensive coordinator quarterback coach, that's not going to be good for him. So he needs more so of infrastructure in place. So if it came down to it, I I retract. I wouldn't take Richardson if I was from the GM standpoint. I would roll with Sam Howell. But just from an evaluator standpoint, I think Richardson is far more talented than Sam Howell
0: what what separates there because he is he is an experienced and so what what separates those you know that level i guess in the in this draft and again i'm looking at mostly comparing it just so people have an idea of when they're mm-hmm. looking at this draft where how might stack up so should you know just in case some situation
1: comes up I think just the physical profile of both of those guys with Anthony Richardson, I think you're more so, and I'm not comparing him to this guy, but just envision Cam Newton from a running perspective. I mean, he's every bit of 6'4", 6'5", 240 pounds. He can really unlock that other element of the the game, which is more so of a quarterback running perspective. You can involve him with the rushing attack. So as opposed to guarding 10 versus eleven you now force defense to guard 11 on 11. You can add an extra blocker in the running game just because you can design some quarterback runs. But also I think he has more arm strength than what Sam has. I think Richardson has, I think he has the strongest arm of anybody in this draft class, but Sam is much more accurate and he's much more natural at playing the quarterback position right now than what Richardson is. So the difference between the two is just, just the natural elements of playing the position. I think Sam far more has the edge there, but as far as the physical profile and the ceiling of what they can be, I think Richardson has the edge there.
0: In the right system, how good a quarterback could Sam Howell be, do you think?
1: That's a great question. Um, I I think he can be a starter. Um, I think he could be somewhere maybe in that 18 to 22 range as far as the quarterbacks in the league as far as starters. Um, I don't think he has a super high ceiling as far as being a top 12 guy, Uh, but at best, I I think it could be, you know, that 15 to 20 range. Uh, I think that's where his ceiling probably is capped. And that's not a bad thing at all. Um, You're thinking more so of like an Andy Dalton in his prime. Um, I don't think he could reach Dak status, but. Yeah, I think that 18 to 22 range or 15 to 20, I think that's probably where he could end up going. But think Andy Dalton in his prime. I, I think that's where we Sam could be. Had,
0: had a good – who was pretty solid. Yeah, took
1: what, him to the playoffs every year.
0: Right. What would be the what – what would prevent him from going above that range, do you think?
1: Just coaching turnover, um, him turning over the football, obviously, and then just not being able to overcome the hurdle that is getting outside of that air eight offense. Um, I think – just just small things like he never huddled in college. That's small things that a lot of people don't think about that he's going to have do. to get used to. And he, he already got and he already got experience doing that. Uh, the one start he did made at the at the end of the year. So uh, I think him just being able to overcome just the nuances and the small details of playing the position, something as simple as being able to call a play in the huddle, as opposed to it being signaled to everybody, including himself from the sideline, little things like that. If he's not able to overcome those hurdles then I think at best he'd probably be high quality insurance as a backup somewhere.
0: And then when you look at Chicago with the number one pick and they have Justin Fields, what do you what do you think they should do? Because, you know, if if I mean do you think they'll just roll with Justin? Would you roll with Justin and knowing what what's out
1: there? Yeah, I would roll with Justin. I think a lot of people get caught up in what potentially could happen and then they don't really focus on what you've already seen. Right. We've already seen that Justin Fields is a freak athlete. And, I mean, they had the worst roster in the league. To, like, <laughs> outside of Darnell Mooney, he had nobody to throw to right. in that offense. And I know they made the trade for Chase Claypool, but early on, so far, he hasn't been what they thought he would be. And then the offensive line is just putrid uh, yes. all throughout it. So get him some weapons and then see what he can be. And we were saying, not saying he's going to be this guy, but we were saying we were having the same conversation with Jalen Hurts a year ago. And the Eagles infrastructure and the personnel is way better than what the Bears will be probably a year or two from now. But let's just see what Fields can do once he gets some formidable guys around him from a weapon weapon perspective, excuse me, and then also some guys that can block for him too.
0: Right. And I'm a little biased coming from Ohio State, but Justin was also further ahead of Jalen as a thrower coming into the NFL. And so it is really like they don't have anybody. But the reason I even ask about him, because like if he were to come free, this is that's a guy that this team was really interested in in trading up for two years ago. But I don't, I don't like, if I'm the bear, I don't know why you would do that. And who who do you look at as the best quarterback in this class?
1: I think it's Bryce Young from Alabama. And you're going to hear a lot about the size. We'll see what he does measure at the combine. I think he's probably going to come in around 5'11, 195 pounds, if I had to guess. Uh, But just the way, He's so gifted at playing the position. Everything looks effortless. Nothing's ever hard. He can process really well. See, read, see, read, and react. He's really good at that. The improvisational skills are off the charts. And you're going to hear the Steph Curry comparison a lot with him. Yes. Just because uh-huh. if you think about it, with Steph, all we, all we talked about, all people talked about was just how his size would limit him. He doesn't have any overly dominant trait. But that shielded everybody from focusing on what he does so well. And that's what you're going to hear about a lot with Bryce's size. You're going to hear size, size, size. And everybody's going to forget about that. He's a really good quarterback too. So he's my favorite of the bunch.
0: Yeah. And I, I will admit, because the size in that, at that position, in the NFL, if you're getting hit a lot, buck 95 is small at that position. The height is okay because we've seen other guys compensate, but that buck 95 is where it would be interesting. And then how they use him and how. You know, what kind of, you know, what kind of that's a line do they have for him to to keep guys off him as well? So, um, you know, but that's that'll be a big thing. Now, looking at your mock draft, you had one recently. You did put Joey Porter. I know this is before the final order was set, but you, you know, you kind of you're thinking along the lines that I am. But you had Joey Porter, the corner from Penn State there, a couple tackles available and all that. What do you what do you why would you put a corner there? I know the answer. Well, but I want to hear
1: you. Yeah. I mean, I think they need help. Excuse me. They need help at the position and they struck gold with Benjamin St. Just. I think he's a player that's really going to be in the mix as far as long term future. I really I really liked what I saw from him and he had he had some rough moments, but that's going to be expected from a young quarterback cornerback. But I think he's a player that is in the future plans for them from a long term perspective. The William Jackson deal hasn't worked out, um, gave him the big money, but obviously that hasn't worked out. So I think they need a corner at that spot. They need that bona fide CB1, and I think Joey Porter can be that guy. Offensive tackle could be another route that they could go. They just haven't been able to find consistency at that position. And there's three really good ones in this class that I think could go in the first round. But if they want to wait to the second round, I think there's some that could be worthy there too. So at pick 16, I think it could be a corner or it could be a wide receiver. um, Or excuse me, a corner offensive tackle. Uh, I think those are the two positions that if, if I had to, if I, if I were a betting man, I think that's where they could go.
0: Right. And there, there is a lot of the corners, corners that, you know, in your mock, there were several there. Um, One guy I like a lot is a guy from Illinois, Devin Witherspoon, you know, but I haven't studied these corners. It's just more about like watching the guy play and say, no, I like that guy. How deep is this corner class for the first round?
1: I think this is one of the deeper cornerback classes that I've seen since I've been evaluating talent. And this is going on my fifth year doing this professionally. But this is the deepest cornerback class that I've seen from top to bottom. And there's so many that we could see going the first round. You're talking about Joey Porter Jr., Christian Gonzalez. And then there's Keely Ringo from Georgia. Mm -hmm. There's other guys, Devin Witherspoon that you mentioned, who's getting a lot of buzz right now. That could actually be the first one to go. In this group, but excuse me, in that second tier, you have guys like Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State, uh, who's one of my favorites in this entire class. It wouldn't surprise me if he ends up going in the back half of the first round or early second round. And then there's plenty of others too that I really like in this group too. And one common theme, and I tweeted about this a couple of days ago, all these guys are big. There's big corners, yeah. and Washington has shown that they really like those big corners, especially with the amount of man coverage that they like to play on the outside. So I think this is a the class where they could even double dip at the position too. would surprise me if they come away with two corners from this class.
0: Well, cause they need the depth there too. And you're right. Cause I, I think they like that because you need to be you. there. Some of these guys are pretty physical and I think that's, that's, that's a good thing for them. Offensive tackle. Cause you did have, there are a couple that are around there when in your mock that who will, you know, are going to be around there when they pick, who are some of the guys right now? Again, we're talking January, you know, late January. Who are some of the guys that you like around that spot?
1: Well, first round, I think Peter Skaronsky of Northwestern, I think he's one that's probably going to go a little bit earlier than their pick. If I had to guess, he'd probably go top 12. Right now, I think he's the best of the bunch. But one name that really intrigues me that could go around that 15, 16 spot is Broderick Jones. He's an offensive tackle from Georgia who who was one player that didn't have a lot of experience coming into the year, only had four starts, but started the entire season this year just a natural-born pass protector which is something that Washington really needs. Still improving as a run blocker, but he's really raw at the position as far as a run blocker. But as far as pass protection, he already has that element figured out. I love the way his feet move. He's a really smooth mover. I think he's going to test really well at the combine too. But if you're looking for some second round names, Anton Harrison of Oklahoma, he's one that could be in that range. But also Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse. He's another that could be in that range too.
0: And the guard, how about some interior guard, interior alignment around 16? Are there any worth taking there? And again, this is just I, a, such an early look.
1: Yeah, not, not in this year's class. The only interior offensive lineman that I could see going the first round is Osiris Torrance from Florida, who came big over fella. from Louisiana, Lafayette. Yeah, 6'5", 350 pounds, really, really big guy, a beefy, meaty player that is just a mauler on the inside. I don't know if he's Washington-type, as far as being that big for the system that they want to run. We'll see as far as who they hire as the offensive coordinator, but he's not going to be for everybody. He has to be in that man gap power scheme, like Baltimore, Pittsburgh, those downhill type of running teams. So uh, he's really the only interior class or offensive lineman that I think is worthy of a first round pick. And this isn't a strong interior class overall, honestly, John.
0: So, okay. And that, that, which is good to know. And I think one of the things, last things are to too, is one of the things they do want to do with Howell is kind of build up that interior to give a guy who's a little bit shorter, maybe some better throwing lanes inside, you know? And I mean, how much would that help a guy like him?
1: Uh, I mean, it would help a little bit. Uh, I'm not overly critical on a guy's height, honestly, just because those shorter quarterbacks, they've grown to be natural at creating those throwing windows as far as being able to maneuver through the pocket. That's why I think like Kyler Murray was really good uh, early on. Russell Wilson in his prime, he was really good at doing it. But Drew Brees was the best as far as being able to manipulate, slide and shuffle in the pocket and create those throwing windows. So as far as like height being correlated to balls being batted down at the line of scrimmage, I think that's something that's very false when you're talking about quarterback play. So I don't think as far as like the height of interior guys, I don't think that's something that's very prevalent. But I mean, it could help, but I don't think it's something that that they have to do.
0: Well, one of the things I would hear for that, and I'm with you, like the batted down things, you can see a tall guy get bad down if he's thrown sidearm. It's more right. so about the quickness of seeing for the quick game and, and seeing those lanes and all that, and keeping the, you know, not getting guys knocked back into you so you can step into a throw, et cetera, that kind of stuff, um, which is where, but that's just, to be honest, that's just like get some good linemen. It doesn't matter. Just get right. some good linemen, you know? <laughs> so, anyway. Jordan, that, that's all I got. Um, please tell people where they can see all your stuff because I know. And when are you when are you going to be putting out mocks and all that?
1: So not putting out a mock draft for a while. I did have one that went up two weeks ago, I right. believe it was. So go check that out on ESPN.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. That's J O R D A N underscore R E I D. And then me, uh, myself, Ty McShay, Mel Mel Kiper, and then also Matt Miller. We have draft content that is, that is being posted every week.
0: There you go. Jordan, always enjoy talking to you. Always great content. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Thanks as always, John.
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks to Jordan for joining me. And thank you as always for listening. I'll be back with another episode on Wednesday. So I'll talk to you next time.